Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Poldark, the later books podcast. This is really a podcast for people who know Poldark, know the, the stories, and maybe have watched the BBC show, and have sort of just got to the point where, spoiler warning, Elizabeth dies. And if you keep up to date with the TV show, you probably know that they're coming out with series five of Poldark, but because the Poldark books have a ten-year gap in the middle, right at the point that they're at, they're, instead of recasting like they might do in The Crown or just putting a load of old people makeup on uh, Aidan Turner and Eleanor Tomlinson, they have decided that they are going to just make up what might have happened or I suppose what fictionally does happen in that 10 year gap, which is fine. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with. But personally, for me, when I was reading the books, the later books were some of the most interesting storylines and character developments and allusions to the real world, sort of historical what was actually happening at that time. So if you want to know kind of what happens to Ross, to Demelza, to Jeremy and Clarence and Valentine, um, please keep listening. The first book after the 10-year gap is called The Stranger from the Sea and it picks up 10 years later. So uh, the last book, which was called The Angry Tide, finished in December 1799, so just before the 1800s. Um, and this book picks up in 1810. So it's it's literally, it's towards the end of, of 1810 actually, so it's almost an 11-year an gap. Um, but that doesn't sound as nice, so it's the 10-year gap. Um, yeah, and in the podcast I'm hoping to summarise a few chapters, maybe two to three chapters per episode. Um, if you've got feedback on this podcast, I'd really, really like to hear it. I've never done a podcast before. We'll see how it goes. So let's jump right into The Stranger from the Sea. Um, and the title is actually quite interesting because a lot of the books are named after people. So we have Ross Poldark, his first book, Demelza, um, Jeremy and War Leggan. So that's those, those are the first four books in the series. And it's actually kind of used as a way to introduce characters rather than that being a book about that character. So for example, Jeremy is born at the end of Jeremy Poldark. I think it's the last chapter or it's very close to the end. And War Leggan is sort of the first time we see in the, in the books sort of things from George's perspective actually. George becomes almost a, a point of view character um, and that's something that Debbie Horsfield who is the kind of screenwriter, she's a screenwriter um, for the TV series, she brought George in much earlier than he is in the books um, which is quite interesting. Uh, yeah so The Stranger from the Sea, who could it be? It is not a character we know yet. That's why it's a stranger. Um, yeah but the, the kind of the idea of the stranger from the sea is that there's this saying that you shouldn't trust a stranger from the sea. So keep that in mind as as we read this book. But we start, we start, I will, t I will read you the first lines in the book after the tenure gap. And it's on Thursday, the 25th of October, 1810, a windy day with the first aut autumnal leaves floating down over the parks and commons of England, the old king went mad. Um, and this is a really nice way that Winston Graham just sets up the entire historical context to what is happening here. So the, the old king that's gone mad, that is King George III. And if you happen to be a fan of Hamilton, that's that king, the mad, the mad King George. And yeah, because obviously mental 
health was not really a thing in in 1810 so people didn't know quite what was going on with the king um a lot of the doctors were trying to trying to you know suss it out and cure him because it had big political implications yeah but basically he just kind of lost the ability to talk or see and went blind and deaf in the end so there yeah that's the that's the historical context for the king has gone mad but we have we we sort of set the scene with some people in Portugal, which is interesting because obviously I don't think, apart from that time where Ross goes to France, or Ross goes to France twice actually, but he goes to France to, to rescue Dwight in um, series three of the TV show and the Force Ones. No, it's not Force Ones, it's the one for that. What's the one for that? Uh, the Black Moon. Um, yeah, he, it's all set in Cornwall, Cornwall or London or southern England. So to open after the 10 year gap in Portugal is quite interesting. Um, yeah, we don't know who these people are. There's there's uh, uh, a few of them. There's a middle-aged man, tall and good looking. Um, yeah, that, that's Ross, spoilers. And there's a few others and they're kind of riding around of making sure to avoid the French armies um, and they're looking for the English armies in Portugal. So just to recap, France and England are fighting in Portugal. And then basically, they just, they meet uh, some soldiers and they're like, cool, how's it going? That's the uh, verbatim word for word. Um, and then they bump into someone called McNeil. And if you're a Paul Doc super fan, name that character. Yep, it's Malcolm McNeil, who in series three, it's right at the end of series three when Demelza finds out that Ross has slept. Well, she knows that Ross has slept with Elizabeth, and she decides to go to the party and flirt with everyone um, because she can. And McNeil, that's that McNeil. He's also sort of the the army officer who's trying to catch Ross out. And something that I can't remember if they do this in the TV series, but in the books, McNeil says to Ross later, like. Because he's, he's hiding under the floor. I mean, Neil says to Ross, yeah, I knew you were hiding, but, you know, I'm not paid enough. So whether whether it was that he was just not paid enough or whether he was sort of doing it for Demelza, we don't know. Um, but yeah, McNeil, so Ross is in Portugal, runs into McNeil, and he's like, hey, how's it going? You remember me? And uh, and he's like, oh, it's you. Um, <laughs> Some great dialogue summaries here, I know. Basically, they chat about army stuff, um, and Ross is dressed as a civilian, so he's not gone back to the army. But he does say, oh, you know, give me a gun, I'll, I'll help out in the battle. Yeah, and then they talk about... They, there's quite a long description of kind of the cold and the, the arminess and how harsh the conditions are. But a little bit about politics, and they mention Napoleon, and they mention Wellington. So again, that's another historical historical context uh, for where we are at the moment. Um, and then McNeil says, uh, "There's another Poldark here, another Poldark." And Ross is like, "Oh, another Poldark." He's like, "Yeah, there's another Poldark here." Uh, and this is the forty third division, um, which, if you Wikipedia it, is quite an interesting division in the uh, Napoleonic Wars. And he's like, Captain Paul Dark. Oh, yeah, I'll go meet Captain Paul Dark. And they're like, oh, is anyone called Paul Dark here? And, and someone's like, yes, I'm Paul Dark. Who is it? And Ross is like, well, it's it's one of your own blood. And it's Geoffrey Charles. Geoffrey Charles has joined the army and is currently in Portugal. So this is the first character, apart from Ross, we actually find out what has happened to after the 10-year gap. 
and hopefully I'm hoping this is something they're going to show in the 10 year in the in the in the 10 year gap that they're covering in series 5 because Jeffrey Charles his mum has just died and he that's the only reason he was staying kind of like cut sort of putting up with George and the plan was for him to go to Oxford um which was sort of the the progression path uh for for gentlemen of, of his standing but after Elizabeth dies he decides that he's not gonna you know try and be nice to George for the sake of it or go to uni um go to uni just Jeffrey Charles on Freshers Night um no he so he joins the army and uh, I think people are quite the the characters are quite surprised by this because Jeffrey Charles was quite pampered as a child and especially when you see him with Draco Moana in the books you get you get the impression he's a bit pampered also, one thing you won't know if you don't, if you haven't read the books, Jeffrey Charles just has a habit of switching to French, or he just he just has a few state uh, phrases that he likes. So every now and then he'll be like, "Oh, Zutalor," it's not Zutalor, it's like Mufula. This I apologise for my French pronunciation, but yeah, so that's slightly hilarious. Is that, is that Jeffrey Charles just just sprinkles some French in just because he can? Anyway, yeah, back to the story. So Ross and Jeffrey Charles meet and they're both completely surprised and ah. Um, and Ross explains to Jeffrey Charles that he has been sent to Portugal for from the government to observe the, the battles and the communication and kind of how it's all going generally. And because Jeffrey Charles is the captain now, and Ross says, you know, he's been he's not been in the battle since before series one. Uh, he says, you know, I can I could if you I'll go under your command and, and fight with you in the battle if you want. And Jeffrey Charles says something in French, because he does. And he's like, Yeah, all right, then sure, you can you can grab a gun, join in. And that's what they do. Um so Ross just gets to to fight another battle. And we find out that Ross and Geoffrey Charles haven't seen each other for four years, which is interesting. So Geoffrey Charles hasn't been back to Cornwall in a while, and Ross keeps kind of going off on, on these missions. And we find out later that Ross has actually actually been on a few of these diplomatic missions. Um, and Ross sort of reflects on how different Geoffrey Charles is now, that he's, he's sort of a bit more mature, a bit more sensible, he's been in the army, and he's had to kind of adapt to this harder, harder life. And yeah, Jeffrey Charles says, you can you can fight with me, but don't die because I don't want to write that letter to Andermilza. And Ross is like, yeah, fair. There's also a great bit where they just keep calling each other Captain Paul Dark back and forth. So Jeffrey Charles says, and now it seems you must have mended your ways, Captain Paul Dark. And Ross replies, why do you suppose that, Captain Paul Dark? which is hilarious. Um, and it's actually quite a nice callback to how Ross was at the start of the series because Geoffrey Charles is in that place. Ross joined the army to sort of avoid getting hanged um, and Geoffrey Charles is kind of left for more emotional reasons but they're both sort of putting stuff off and avoiding Cornwall, I guess. So it's quite a nice a nice piece of... of reflection of how Ross was at the start of the series and now it's it's Francis's son, Francis and Elizabeth's son that is in this position. Um, and also Geoffrey Charles has lost a bit of his jaw in a battle. But he's got his jawbone and keeps it as a uh, good luck charm. So there you go. That's chapter one in Portugal, sort of catching up with Ross and Geoffrey Charles. And chapter two 
is also still in Portugal, so it's, it's, it's carrying on. It's a bit later in that night. So Russ and Geoffrey Charles, we get a little bit more of their conversation and we find out about Geoffrey Charles' decision to join the, the army and that he wants to sort of make his own way in the world. He doesn't want to rely on George. But actually, being in the army is quite expensive and Geoffrey Charles occasionally gambles. Of course, we know that Francis, who, is Jeffrey Ch- who was Geoffrey Charles' father, had a bit of a gambling problem, amongst other things. But it's not that serious for Geoffrey Charles. He's just having a good time in the army. And that's, that's what you do in the army, you sort of gamble. So, yeah, and we find out that Ross and George have an agreement. They kind of, they, they write to each other uh, to help uh, Geoffrey Charles out with his money. So that's, that's sort of nice. You know, they have at least a kind of very tense letter writing situation. Um, and this is the first time George is mentioned. We don't really find out what George is doing at the moment. He's, he's just there and he's, he's supporting Geoffrey Charles with money, presumably for Elizabeth's sake. I don't think it's because he suddenly likes Geoffrey Charles. And, and Ross compares Geoffrey Charles to Francis. He sort of thinks about how much Geoffrey Charles is like Francis. He says he could hear Francis talking, yet the sentiments, the meanings, were more like his own, meaning Ross's. And Geoffrey Charles asks Ross about his family, and we find out that Demelza is well. Occasionally she gets sort of blurred vision migraines. But yeah, at this point, Demelza is 40, and Ross is 50, because he's 10 years older than she is. Jeremy is just an inch shorter than Ross, so he's grown up. Jeremy is 19 at this point, and Jeremy's sort of a little bit directionless. He doesn't. Jeffrey Charles asks if he might join the army, and Ross says, "Well, he doesn't. You know, he doesn't really want to join the army." And Jeffrey Charles is like, "Yeah, I don't blame him. He's got a mum and a dad at home, and you know." And then. Yes, about Clarence, and and then he says, um, and also your youngest, little Isabella Rose. So we find out Ross and Demelza have had another daughter called Isabella Rose, who everybody calls Bella. And again, that's something that I hope, I can't see them not doing that in the series five, in, in series five of, of Poldark on the BBC. I think they'd, they'd, they'd sort of miss a trick to kind of go have Demelza do one of those scenes where she reveals to Ross that she's pregnant again. And they get very excited and then they have they have a girl. Bella is seven at this point. But it's it's interesting that the last the last book in the series is called Bella Poldark. And you know, I talked before about how books with sort of named after people are often those characters getting introduced, and that's that's very much the case for Bella. Because she's she's quite a loud person, Bella is, but she's seventeen at the sort of a th- two-thirds of the way through the last book she's 17 whereas Clarence at the moment is 16 so yeah so these these latter books cover the time period of 10 years so Bella is seven at the moment but she she gets sort of to the age where Winston Graham can sort of put her in a storyline oh she's eight I'm sorry she's wrong I was wrong she's eight Clarence is a bit of a tomboy she doesn't you know take too too much she doesn't care too much about what people think of her and Drake and Moana, we get a nice catch up on them. They're doing really well. Drake is now working as a, a boat builder, builder working as a boat building business. And Sam, who is Drake's brother, of course, has married Rosina and is working in Drake's old forge. So that's again coming into this nice update. Series five, they they have to do the courtship of Sam and Rosina. 
I'll be really annoyed if they don't because they had the whole thing about Rosina being rejected and she she tried to get with Dwight and that didn't work and then she tried to get with Drake and she nearly married him and then that all fell through. Poor Rosina. But she ends up married to Sam and Drake and Moana have, have a daughter called Love Day which is nice and I think that's going to be very interesting because obviously for Moana pregnancy was a really traumatic time for her and she has a son who she hasn't seen who she doesn't want to see again that's a, that's a big difference between the books and the tv show in the tv show she kind of reluctantly leaves her son and in the books she doesn't want her son but also the the trauma she goes through in the books is a lot worse and you kind of see her mental decline and the point where Ozzy is trying to get her put in a home, you're like, he is going to get her put in a home because she is not okay. Yeah. But yes, the point now is that is that Drake and Morwenna are okay. You know, they're doing well. They've got a daughter, which is nice. And I really hope that in series five, when they're trying to come up with more plot lines, they don't do anything that's going to make Drake and Moana and Morwenna too unhappy because they they deserve happiness that's all i i ever wanted out of paul dark was drake and moana to be happy i think they've deserved that and jeffrey charles mentions george and ross says well we see each other occasionally in parliament but you know, we avoid each other because <laughs> of everything that has ever happened and george does literally nothing in the tenure gap every other character you kind of get like, they either talk about it, or there's some uh, reflection on, oh, yeah, you know that thing that happened three years ago? Ross and Dwight go to France. Clowance runs away from boarding school. Jeremy sees a train, which is a great moment for him. George does nothing. So, yeah, that's that's going to be very interesting, because because he's so upset about Elizabeth's death. He's been made Sir George Warlegan literally the month after Elizabeth has died. But of course, Elizabeth was never Lady Warlagan, because she was dead. But yeah, he, his business, he's, he's not really, I mean, his business has sort of grown, his banking business, um, but he's not dated at all. He's not shown any interest in any other woman, uh, woman. And Ross is like, you know, fair enough. And they talk about Trenworth, which is such a central part of Poldark, really. It's kind of the main house, even though it's not where Ross and Demelza live. It's sort of where everything happens. But it's fallen into this state of brokenness. Because George doesn't live there anymore. In the books, Elizabeth's parents were both alive. And they were living there with Elizabeth and George. But they've both died now after the 10-year gap. And Valentine and Ursula live with George at Kaji, which is the Warleggins' home where George's parents also live. And there is, there's like, there's some people who live there, the Harrys, if you remember the Harrys, they are the kind of, Tom Harry and Harry Harry are the housekeepers, but they kind of, they live in a lodge on the land, and they're meant to look after Trenworth, uh, but it doesn't really happen, and they have one wife between them. So yeah, so the Harrys, the Harrys are the people who, you know, Sam wrestled in series four, and just generally were George's thugs, those are the Harrys, so they're the people taking care of Trenworth, because George doesn't visit there anymore, and Geoffrey Charles is in the army. So it's sad, it's sort of a state of brokenness, and there's a sense that it's waiting, I suppose, that Trenworth is waiting for Geoffrey Charles to come home, and almost for the story to start up again. 
Yeah, and and Jeffrey Charles says, well, I guess I guess it's my house now. And Ross is like, yeah. I mean, you should come home and look after it, cause and then you could chuck the Harrys out for one thing. But you know, I think Jeffrey Charles kind of struggles with that idea of coming home. And Ross mentions that Clowns is going over to Trenworth just because she can. Clowns kind of just does whatever she wants. She's she's pretty cool like that. And and Ross is like, she he's, he's like, I told Clowns off because you know that Harry's could have found her, but she's she was she wanted to do anyway. And she was like, well, I wasn't cool, so it was fine. And Ross was like, yeah, I can't argue with that. Sorry. Um, and Jeffrey Charles is like, you know, when I come home, Clowns can come and wander in Trenworth as much as she wants. So that's our first description of adult Clowns as well. Baby Clowns, all the the kind of descriptions of baby Clowns was that she had very blonde hair and is that she was quite sort of pudgy as a baby, which is cute. But she's not, she's not anymore. She's grown upwards, I think they say. But yeah, it's interesting that she's got blonde hair because Ross has got black hair and Demelza has got brown hair. And they changed, they switched it up a bit in the TV show because in the TV show, Demelza has red hair, Elizabeth has brown hair and Caroline has blonde hair. But in the books, Demelza has brown hair. Caroline has red hair because she's sort of got this really fierce, fiery personality. And Elizabeth has blonde hair because she's meant to be kind of delicate and patrician is the word that every single sentence where it's like Elizabeth was there with her patrician beauty. And patrician kind of means of high class, kind of breakable, but beautiful, which is which is interesting and, and obviously a massive contrast to Demelza and Caroline. Uh, but yeah, Clarence has got blonde hair, which is an interesting point in the next chapter. Yeah, so they, they, they keep chatting and Ross is like, look, I'm, I should have taken better care of Trenworth for you, but it's a bit difficult, sorry. And they chat about the army and, and what it's like in the army and they talk about how basically it's pretty terrible. Like, they're still kind of trying to get guns that work <laughs> and don't, you know, misfire every second time. But then we hear that George is interested in another woman, is taking an interest. Um, as Geoffrey Charles says, Mon Dieu, who is she? And Lady Harriet, Lady Harriet something, Ross says. This is interesting because we hear this kind of development in George's story from Ross and Geoffrey Charles. So it's kind of, it's coloured by their annoyance, I suppose. I don't know if annoyance is the right word because they're not, they don't think they're annoyed that he's taking an interest in another woman. They're not, they're not happy about it. It's just kind of, oh, all right then. And George is 51 at the moment. But yes, that's that's what's going on with, with adult George, is that he is taking taking an interest. And then the battle starts. Um, so our two heroes, which is kind of, it's kind of current Ross with a, a mirror reflection of how Ross was at the start of this series. They get ready for battle. And then we're on to chapter three. And chapter three of Stranger from the Sea starts with the second courtship of George Warleggin was of a very different nature from the first. So we're in George's perspective now. Um, and this is the, the first character, apart from Ross and Jeffrey Charles, that we sort of have a, have a POV point from. It sort of talks about how terrible it was when Elizabeth died. And he put all that effort into getting her and kind of 
almost proving he was good enough for her, which is, is a big theme in George's perspectives. Quite often, he's really insecure about everything, about like his family, like the fact that he's not actually born high class and that he doesn't know how to do it and he feels like he, he shouldn't... He almost feels like a bit of an imposter. And then the fact that he got to marry Elizabeth and he is in love with Elizabeth. I think sometimes in the TV show you get the feeling that he kind of tolerates her. And in the books, from his perspective, you do see that he does love her. And I think that's shown by the fact that he's kind of been in mourning for ten years. There's a really interesting bit where it says... So he's talking about how great everything was. And then it says... This is a sort of George's thought stream. It was only later that the old hag, Agatha, had poisoned his happiness by suggesting that because Valentine was an eight-month child, he was not his. So that's interesting that he kind of blames Agatha for that when really yeah she told him but it was sort of a build-up of lots of things that led to that moment sort of you know the fact that Elizabeth and Ross had had all these feelings for each other and they hadn't sort of said it and Elizabeth has decided to marry George and George has been kind of subtly influencing Elizabeth's situation so she can't cope on her own and you could kind of say that Valentine's birth and conception and therefore Elizabeth's death because that's why she dies is is a result of Ross and Elizabeth right at the start not being honest with each other and Elizabeth marrying Francis and Ross going to war in the first place. So that's interesting. But of course George doesn't know half of this. He thinks that everything was happy and then Agatha came along. And actually in, when Elizabeth dies, George says he's going to he's going to dig up Agatha's body and kick it about a bit. So we don't know if that happens, but you know, if they're, they're stuck for things in series 5, I'm sure they could show that. Maybe not. And George is thinking about how great his marriage to Elizabeth was and then how bad it was when everything everything went wrong and he didn't know if Valentine was his and then Elizabeth got pregnant again and had another early child and the fact that Elizabeth had an eight-month child sort of completely in George's mind. Valentine is now is his child. That's where we're at with George in this kind of suspicion level is that he... I, To be honest, I don't know if it's that he thinks 100% Valentine is his. It's more that he has decided to think that. He has decided to think, to know that Valentine is his child. So I think there's technically a worm of doubt there, but not in his sort of what he has decided to be true. And he, yeah, he's just been mourning for 10 years, really. He thought about quitting Parliament, but he's kind of getting money from it, so he doesn't. And his parents, who were alive in the books, both want him to remarry and he doesn't. He's sort of, he's got Valentine and Ursula. We get like a mention of both of Valentine and Ursula, but we don't see just what they're doing at the moment. Ursula, Ursula doesn't really do that much in the book. She has, I think there's like the odd, she has a nice conversation and there's, there's a great scene where she reenacts Francis's death because she gets a toy mine and she just likes, she's heard the story of how Elizabeth's first husband dies, so she likes to kind of recreate it and drown Francis in her toy mine. Oh no. But yeah, Valentine is is much more of a, a main character. But we get this line, um, he's sort of thinking about how he's got two children, even if Valentine was growing into a rather peculiar boy. So that's our first recap of Valentine, of where Valentine's at. Um, and also, so George just thought about sleeping with another woman, but 
he thinks the opportunity to sample the goods before buying never seemed to him to exist without the risk of later being pressed to purchase. Basically, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to sleep with someone who then turns around and goes, "Well, you have to marry me." Ha ha ha. He's being very level-headed about this. The other reason he hasn't slept with anybody is that he doesn't want anyone talking about it behind his back, which plays into his insecurity. He is just really insecure. But every year he visits Trenwith on the anniversary of his marriage to Elizabeth. So it's not when Elizabeth died, it's when they got married. So it's it's remembering a happy time at Trenwith, which is kind of, it's a very sad place at the moment because it's a bit dilapidated and falling apart. But every year he goes over to Trenwith to sort of look at Elizabeth's grave. He says he doesn't bring flowers or anything like that because that's kind of showy and George isn't showy. It's all about the internal sentiment because... George is a very private person and he's literally the, the opposite to Ross because Ross's emotions are all on the outside. He sort of leads with emotions. It'd be interesting to do a, what's it, the MBTI? You know, the kind of, when you say, oh, I'm ENFJ or whatever for the Poldark characters because Ross would be, whichever one is emotions leading first, that would be Ross. He doesn't think about his actions before he does his actions. Half the time he doesn't think about his actions after he's done his actions. Whereas George is much more calculated and scheming and cautious, I suppose. But yeah, George has had Elizabeth buried away from the Poldarks as well. Which is kind of sad because she's she's not with Francis. He's, he, he's, she's literally the other side of the graveyard, as far away from the Poldarks as he could have got her. But the grave needs recutting. The kind of letters are fading and they don't, they look like you can't really see what they say anymore. And he gets really annoyed at the Poldarks for not taking care of the graveyard because he can be annoyed with the Poldarks. And if George has the chance to be annoyed with the Poldarks, that is what he will do. And he knows that Trenworth isn't his. But also, if Geoffrey Charles dies, I think that the phrasing is if Geoffrey Charles was to meet with a Frenchy bullet, it would probably go to George, which would be interesting. But he can't bring himself to care, even... Though there's a chance Geoffrey Charles might die and Trenwith might be his, he just doesn't want it. And he thinks the only thing, he wouldn't sell it to the Poldarks. That's, that's, he wouldn't do anything with it, but he just definitely wouldn't sell it to them. So there's still a lot of anger in George ten years later. He's not really moved on, has he? He's, he's kind of, his head's all in ten years ago in Ross and Elizabeth. Yeah, poor George. But he, he goes and has some food in the house and everywhere kind of smells of damp and it's not great. And he kind of wanders around the house. It's a really common thing, actually, people wandering around Trenworth. Everyone seems to wander around Trenworth. Morwenna does it a bit later on in a few books. She kind of has a wander around Trenworth as well. But he sort of wanders around the rooms thinking of all the things that happens there. And then he starts getting angry at Agatha again because <laughs> I think George needs therapy. That's what happens here. George just needs to talk everything out. And then it'll be alright. But yeah, it's kind of, it's nice that it sets up how George is. And how George is, is not okay. Oh yeah, and so he's thinking about Agatha. And he's thinking about Agatha's prediction that because Valentine was born under a black moon, he'll come to no good. I'll leave that, that thought hanging. But yeah, and he's sort of imagining Elizabeth, which is another common thing. People tend to wander around around with and, and picture Elizabeth there. He's sort of seeing her in his brain in, in, in Trenworth. And then he hears footsteps, a woman's footsteps. And he turns around, or he sees his brain sort of going, uh, you, what, no? And he turns around, and there's a tall, fair girl. Now, remember that Elizabeth in the books is blonde. 
is this tall blonde girl wearing a white dress carrying foxgloves which are flowers you know those flowers they kind of look like bells i'm not describing them very well google a picture of foxgloves it's it's not integral to the scene but it might help you picture them um anyway so yeah this girl is standing there and and george goes who are you what do you want and the girl's like oh sorry i saw the door open and i thought you know it maybe blown open and george is like what what no what do you want and she's like oh i just come here sometimes and george is like right you know you're trespassing and she's like oh you're are you sir george Wollegan? and her accent is not a village girl accent it's a gentry accent and it says a terrible suspicion grew in his mind and he goes what's your name and she says oh i'm clowance poldark so clowance is at trenwith like we'd, we'd heard in uh, the Ross and Jeffrey Charles chapter. And then we switch to Clowance's point of view, and she's sort of coming back to Nampara, and it says that she whistles three notes, which is D, B flat, and A. So if you're at all musical and know that, then you can, you can picture that sound. And she's sort of putting flowers away and wandering in the garden. And everyone's out, so she wanders up, kind of up the hill to find them, and it's they're the miners there and Melza and jane gimlet who is one of their servants is bringing refreshments to the miners so clowns goes to clowns goes up to join them and jane gimlet and john gimlet are characters that are only book characters so if you remember in the tv show there's a whole thing where judd is saying he gets very drunk and he starts talking about rumors that Ginny's child is was fathered by Ross and Ross hears and chucks them out and in the TV show they come back and the books they never come back so in the first book uh, Judd and Prudy get replaced by John and Jane Gimlet and they are kind of everything that the painters aren't they're polite and they do all the work and well-mannered and also in the TV show after Judd leaves Prudy kind of does everything around the house like I know Demelza does a lot and she does a lot in the books like she's cooking and things like that but in the books they've got they've got the the gimlets they've got at least one or two farm boys and they have a maid and they have Mrs Kemp who is she's in the first book she's described as an old woman and then she's there in the last book which is 40 years later so yeah they've got loads of servants in the book maybe you know not as many as at Trentwith but they've got like at least five um, and in the TV show, Prudy is, you know, she's looking after the house, she's making all the food, she's she's raising Jeremy and Clowns. Um, so I think they need to get some more servants in the TV show, really. Yeah, so that's, that's Jane Gimlet. And they made a film of The Stranger in the Sea in 1990-something, something like 1996 or 1997. And the character of Jane Gimlet in that is nothing like Jane Gimlet in the book. She's just puts in sarcastic comments every now and then and Jamel's is like yes thank you Jane um that's not the books that's just they decided that they needed a, a more sassy servant clearly anyway Clowance is going out to sort of see Demelza and so there's all miners there and it's sort of it talks about the kind of parentage of some of these miners because in the books it's often mentioning miners who they're just too the, the miners are too minor a character it's a great pun I'm sorry um, to, to mention the TV series, but so it's nice if you've read the books and you kind of know that, oh, that, that guy is the son of this guy, right? Okay. They sort of have some ale and all of the miners, everyone, basically everyone fancies Clowance. 
And this is a theme throughout the books. Just uh, take a shot every time Clarence gets a, a wedding proposal, a marriage proposal. Yeah, um, everyone fancies Clarence. Um, but anyway, so Demelza says to Clarence, you're not, you're not wearing shoes again. And, and Clarence is like, yeah, no, it's summer. And Demelza is like, mate, come on, you'll get things in your feet. And Clarence is like, yeah, they'll come out. They always do. So that's Clarence. She just, she's just cool, you know. She, she does not care. She's just, she's just being Clarence. But it highlights the difference because it says that Demelza hadn't had shoes until she was 14. So for her, it's a status symbol. Having shoes shows that you're someone. Because when she sort of first came to work for Ross, that's when she got shoes. But Clowns, there's kind of a freedom of not wearing shoes because she's growing up in this gentry household. Admittedly, like, it must be much more of a free household than, for example, growing up in Trenworth or any of these other major houses. But yes, it's, it sort of represents freedom to her. And we find out that Jeremy is out with Paul and Ben. And these are two new characters. So Paul is Paul Kello. And they get introduced in a little bit more in another chapter. But basically, they've moved in, Paul Kello and his sisters. And Ben is Ben Carter. So if you remember Jim and Ginny, they... That's, that's Jim and Ginny's son. And that's... This is probably the... the biggest change they made in the TV series because in the TV series when Ross meets Demelza she's 17 right and they kind of you know their their courtship when she's working for him as a servant is not that long in the books Demelza is 13 when Ross meets her he's 23 and she's 13 but she works for him for three to four years and they don't do anything romantically until she's 17. So there's this big three to four year gap in the first book. And during that three to four year gap, Jim and Ginny have three children. So in the TV series, they obviously had to cut that down because they wanted Demelza to be 17 from the start. And so they only have one baby. And I think they only mention once that it's a boy because I was listening out for that. But yeah, in the, in the TV series, or in the books rather, they have, they have three. They have Ben, they have Mary, and they have Kate. And Ben and Kate, she sort of becomes known as Katie later on. Ben and Katie have sort of storylines and Mary gets a one word. She went off and left and married someone and we never hear about Mary. But yeah, that's who, that's who Ben is. And Ben is Ross's godson as well because he kind of helped Jim out. So they asked if they could, if they could make Ben Ross's godson. And the other big storyline that they, they cut out of the TV series is that Ginny had a stalker he was sort of a 40 year old man called uh, Reuben Clemo and he he's stalking Ginny and he wants to marry Ginny but obviously she wants to marry Jim when Jim is away Ginny is alone with Ben this is just this is so this is before the gap so she just had Ben not the others yet and he attacks Ginny with a knife and Ginny nearly dies but she doesn't but Ben is scarred so Ben is sort of under a year old and is scarred and his scar is similar to Ross's scar so that's kind of what starts the rumours that Ben is Ross's son because he has a scar really similar to Ross. And they say that the devil has marked him as Ross's son. So that's some good logic for you. But of course, we know we know Ben is not Ross's son, but he is his godson. And Ben grows a beard to hide the scar because he doesn't like the rumours. So yeah, that's a bit of a uh, the Jim and Ginny storyline. That's that's the biggest thing they changed, really between the books and the, and the TV show was that kind of Ginny storyline. So if they do the TV series, the later books in another TV series, they might have to sort of explain how they're going to have Ben Carter and Katie Carter, because in the, in the TV series it's only Ben. 
maybe they'll say, because Ginny does get remarried to a guy called, who has the best name in Poldark, um, Whitehead Scoble. Yeah, who wouldn't want to be called that? So maybe they'll just say it's, it's her daughter with him. Um, anyway, Jeremy is out with Paul and Ben. That's what that tangent started. So they're fishing, and then Mrs. Kemp, who was the, the, the kind of um, the old woman who was old in the first book, is off on the beach with Bella and Sophie. And Sophie is Sophie Ennis. So Dwight and Caroline have had two daughters called Sophie and Meliora, which is nice because obviously they had a daughter that died, so it's nice they've got two healthy daughters. And we get a little bit about background of about Clarence. She's she's very pretty and she she could grow quickly bored and quickly interested. And she's run away from boarding school twice, not because she didn't like it, just because there were more interesting things to do at home. So you know, fair enough. Clarence has a lot of innocence about her, I think. She's sort of in the way she's described, you know, with the flowers and the the frock and the bare feet. And also she's only sixteen at this point. But she kind of takes life as it's, she sees it and she doesn't think she sort of thinks the best of everybody and she's a little bit naive not completely naive but a little bit naive in a nice way and we sort of get some background on Demelza as well she's talking about how she's she's getting a little bit older and she's um dyeing the roots of her hair because they've started to go gray so Ross doesn't notice and then in another couple of books we find out that Ross has noticed he's just pretending not to notice which is sweet and so Clarence asks Demelza about why Jeremy and his friends go fishing and don't really catch that much fish. And Demelza's like, oh, yes, you know, they do go fishing all day and never catch any fish. Weird. And Clarence is like, yeah, hmm, it's interesting. I wonder what they could be doing. Anyway, Clarence is like, oh, yeah, I, I met a friend of yours. And Demelza's like, oh, yeah, a friend. And and, and uh, Clarence is like, George Wallegan. And Demelza is like, Clarence, what? Why? <laughs> And, yeah, Demelza's basically like, don't tell your father. And also because because Clarence is talking about how George was really rude to her, but Demelza's is noting that Clarence isn't upset by this. And we find out that Clarence tells George that they're sort of cousins through marriage. And George did not like that, as you can imagine. And that George is, you know, threatening Clarence that she needs to go or she's, he's going to call the Harry brothers to throw her out. So, yeah, Demelza tells Clarence not to tell Ross. And Russ is still away at this point, but anyway, Demelza is sort of saying, look, I can't really explain to you everything that happened between Ross and me and George. Basically, just go and read the books, Clarence, is what she says. Or, you know, watch the TV series. It's complicated, like, there's a lot of stuff that's been happening. You know, she says, you, you know, you've probably heard some of this in gossip. And Clarence is like, yeah, yeah, Papa and Elizabeth Warlegan were in love. Yeah, was that, was that so bad? And Demelza's like, Oh, yeah, okay. Um, and and she's kind of like, yeah, no, to be fair. Like, that's that's basically what it was. But Clarence is like, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'll never be in love like you and Papa are because it's so, your love is so special. And Demel's is kind of, she's quite emotional about that. And then Bella Poldark, who is Isabella Rose, Bella, Bella Poldark, comes up and starts prattling with a story about a dead fish, which is, which is very Bella. Clarence tells Demelza that she left George some of her foxgloves and Demelza's like, you left, you let, you left him flowers, and she's like, yeah. He, he said, you know, he said he didn't want the flowers, but I put them in a vase. And then I think his, yeah, I think his bark's worse than his bite. And Demelza's like, yeah, don't, don't rely on that, because Demelza knows better. And that's the end of chapter three. So yeah, 
that's that's quite interesting. We've heard from Ross and Jeffrey Charles, and we've heard from George, and we've heard from Clarence. So it's a nice kind of recap of everybody. And it, a lot of this, I think, is is scene setting, is talking about where everyone is, how they've been over the over the ten years, who's got kids now, who's got extra children that didn't have before. Yeah, so it's nice. We haven't met the stranger from the sea yet. That happens within the next three chapters. That happens in the next podcast. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. Please do send me all of the feedback. I'm going to post in in the Poldark subreddit. So if you search for the thread that is Poldark, the later books, you can send me all of the feedback there. Please tune into the next episode of Poldark, the later books, where we meet Lady Harriet, who is this woman who, who George has been wooing. George practices his letter writing skills and we actually get to meet the stranger from the sea. Hooray! So yes, thank you so much for listening. Please tune in again soon.